I want to ask you to turn to the book of James. And I'm going to talk out of the book of James for a little while, not in a comprehensive way. I'm going to address just three bullet points out of the book of James. I'm going to address an introductory kind of general point, and then three bullet points. Some things that the Lord has, has placed in my heart. I'm going to talk to you about it. This coming Sunday, when we go to the new building, we're going to have that first official service for you and I there in the new building. And uh, Pop's going to be preaching. He's, he's very, very excited. We, we're building toward this first uh, service by having 24-hour, seven days of prayer. And many of you have already signed up. The slots, I think there's only two slots out of every day that, um, that's not been signed up on the last time I looked at the chart today. And I really appreciate y'all doing this. I appreciate you coming out. The Lord had laid it on my heart that we just uh, warm up that building with this whole week of 24-hour prayer. And it's been awesome. We talked about it last night. You just walk in there and you just feel like you're on holy ground. And I thank God for that. But we're expecting a big crowd Sunday. And so the parking lot, uh, you, there's, there's stripes on it. But there's going to be attendance there to kind of help you and guide you. So just kind of watch for them when you pull in, if you don't mind. I want to look at James, as I told you. And James has a, if you could just use a tweetable statement that would describe what James is looking at. He's simply telling us that for the spiritual life to work, faith must work. For the spiritual life to work, faith must work. It's not enough to verbally say that one has faith or intellectually claim to have faith. Faith must be practically expressed every day in word and in deed. I'm going to say that again. For this spiritual life to work, faith must work. But faith is more than a statement. Faith. Faith is going to have to be practically expressed every day in word and deed. You don't state your faith. You live your faith. You don't make a declaration about what you believe. You live what you believe. When you live what you believe, your life declares a whole lot more than your words ever could. Words are empty, words are pointless, especially in this age that we're in right now. We are drowning in words. We are drowning in words. There has been cataclysmic forces of word and information that has just been flooding across this country and across this world. And, and it just seems like 2020, the year that started as perfect vision, all of a sudden things just went haywire. I mean, if 2020 was a food, it'd be an omelet or something. It's just all mixed up. 
And we, in the midst of all of this, there's been all kinds of words and all kinds of, of opinions and all kinds of strife that's being stirred up. And if there ever was a right time for the church to be what it's supposed to be, it's right now. And if there ever was a time that we would let our light be what God wants it to be, it's right now. Looking at the book of James as a, as just kind of an overview to start with, as an introduction. There's a word that sticks out that James uses, and James, James uses the word doer. Everybody say doer. 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 Turn around and look at your neighbor and say, are you a doer? A doer. So James starts out, jump in here with me. Let's jump into the scripture in, uh, in verse 5 of chapter 1. Verse 5 of chapter 1, James says, If any man or if any of you lack wisdom, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So if you need wisdom, you know what the word wisdom means? In that passage of scripture, the first definition, when you look at it in the Greek context, is skill. So if you don't have the skill, if you're a little inept, if you really don't know how to do things, how many of you have ever seen somebody that didn't know how to do something, but boy, they sure let you think they did? And a lot of people live for God that way. They don't know how to do it right, but man, they sure can put up a good talk. And James said, hey, let me just get it right, right here, right off the bat. Let's just jump in here and do it right. You need help. I need help. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. The word wisdom just simply means skill or deep knowledge or understanding. 40 years ago, Stoney, it's the same timeline for you, I think, just around 40 years. It's 40 years ago that some of us began having God deal with our hearts. It was 40 years ago for me, right over here, that God, on uh, early morning prayer time, that um, I was laying there, and I felt God just nudge me, and God put it in my heart and called me to preach. 40 years ago, 40 years ago this year. Sister Pollock, is that hard for you to believe? It was 40 years ago. Wow. I just felt myself age just right then while I was saying it. I just felt my knee lock up. 40 years ago, I felt, I heard, and I acknowledged my call into the ministry. It was 40 years ago. I know it. There's one thing. There's two things. Three things. Three, three things. Three things. Three things that I'm sure of. I know God called me to preach. I know I married the right woman. And I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. And if you can know that God called you, if you know you married the right woman, and if you know you're where you're supposed to be, you can be pretty peaceful. But man, if you're in turmoil about any one of those things, you're messed up, you need help. But I know it. 
And as a result of that, I've, I've grown in it. And I, I've had God bless my life and bless the ministry that he's called me into, and I'm thankful for it. And I look back over, and I was doing a little math while I was praying last night, and I look back over it, and I, I, I have to say that it's been probably more than 2,000 times that I've stood behind the pulpit and preached. There's been hundreds of lessons, and I've studied, and I've written notes, and I've prepared thousands of hours. Y'all have done it too. Over these past several years, it's been thousands of hours. And then I look at this, putting in all these hours, and I still realize I have a long way to go. I realize that. I still pray, James 1, 5. I still pray. Lord, give me wisdom. I still pray that. And I've got a feeling that I'm going to pray that till, till I'm drawn my final breath. I'm not a novice. I realize that. But sometimes I feel like I'm a beginner. And we need the help of God on a consistent and regular basis. And so James tells us, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. God's going to give it to you, and he's going to give it liberally, and he's not going to upbraid you because you ask. If you come to God and say, God, I'm, I need wisdom, God's going to say, I got a bunch of that. He gives liberally. He's the only wise God. And he's not going to look at you and say, yeah, I don't know if it's going to work or not. Some of you haven't gone and asked him because you're afraid that, that, that he might not give it to you. He will give it to you. He says if you lack, God's going to give it to you. But verse 6, he said, but let him ask in faith. So don't go ask God for wisdom and then doubt that he's going to give it to you. Ask in faith, nothing wavering. Don't be wavering about it. But for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. That man, he said, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. For a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You just got to simply trust God and go to him and say, God, I need help. And believe that God's going to give you your help and just stick with that. Everybody say, my help comes from the Lord. So it all starts right here with us seeking the help of God. And so apparently James had prayed for wisdom and prayed for guidance. And now he's going to pass on some things that God had taught him. And he brings to us the conduct of a believer. And he talks to us here in, in verse 19 of chapter 1. Look at this. The conduct of true religion. The conduct of the doer. Is what he's about to go into. And in James chapter 1 verse 19. He says. Wherefore my beloved brethren. Let every man be swift to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. Boy we twisted that around a little bit. We're a little more swift to speak. But he said y'all need to be swift to hear. In other words listen first. Turn to your neighbor and say, listen first. Listen first. 
Now we can all at some point or another, one time or another, we can jump into or fall into this category of speaking too quickly. But he said, okay, here we go. The conduct of a true believer is going to be shown this way. A true doer is going to be shown this way. Let everyone be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. The word wrath doesn't necessarily mean anger because he's going to define it here in just a minute. Now look really closely at it. Verse 20, he says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Generally, See, because we're slow to jump, I mean, we're, 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 we're slow to listen and quick to jump to conclusions, we already think if he uses the word wrath, that he's saying don't get, don't get mad quickly. But the word wrath, y'all ready? The word wrath in this passage of scripture means excitement. It means passion. It means human motivation. And he's telling us that just because you're excited about something, just because you may be showing passion about something, doesn't necessarily mean that you're working the righteousness of God. There comes a time that the human element of our lives, you know, we want to pump and get everybody all excited, get all excited, get all excited, get all excited. Well, excitement may not bring about the righteousness of God. And so when he says, be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath, he's saying it's going to be a whole lot better if you just kind of get a hold of this and let it start doing a slow burn in you than you to just catch on fire and then fizzle out. Are y'all even with me? And so James tells us how to, how to work the righteousness of God. And he goes on in verse 21, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But look at this. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. Now, if y'all were with me, you'd already jump to this conclusion that there's a lot of times, there's a lot of preaching and a lot of exuberance going on behind the pulpit and everybody's woo-hoo-hoo and all excited and walk out like, what did he say? <laughs> so how can you be a doer of the word if you didn't get the word? One of my favorite stories, and it's not a good one, is about our missionary to uh, Mexico. And I don't know why they chose to do it, but they were going to prove the point that people weren't paying attention. They were just caught up in the emotions. And so they got up there. They're very talented, talented missionaries, very, very talented missionary family. So they got up and they, this was, it's not good, y'all. I'm not going to do this to y'all. They got up and they started singing, Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. And they were playing and singing and people got all pumped and excited. And come running down to the front crying and carrying on. It proves a point. I was in Haiti, that little place we go to the lookout, y'all, that's got the coffee bar. There was a song playing 
I thought it sounded like a praise and worship song and I was feeling the Holy Ghost and I'm just praising and worshiping. <laughs> and Richardson told me the words to the song. It was pop song with naughty lyrics. You see, we can allow things to move us. And even the word sometimes will move us. And he's saying, don't just be hearers of the word, do the word. Don't just walk out of the church and say, man, that was the best message I've heard today. And then going out as if that's all that was meant for was just for you to be entertained for 36 minutes. Don't be here or doers of the, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Because if you get excited about the word of God, what's the word up here? Wrath. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Or the excitement or the passion of man is not what's going to bring about the righteousness of God. So to be a doer of the word is to do more than just get excited about it. Because you're deceiving yourself if you get excited about the word of God and don't do anything to live out the truth that you heard. For if any man, verse 23, be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. It gets worse as you get old. You walk past the mirror and have to do a double take. Go back. I forgot what it looked like. He said that's what you are. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Matthew 7, 24, we're not gonna turn there, but Matthew 7, 24, Jesus said, the one that hears and does these sayings of mine is the one that's the wise man. The one that hears and doesn't is the foolish man. The lesson that we learn from it is they both sat in church and they both heard the same word. One of them heard it and got excited and did nothing. One of them heard it and let it change the course of his life and was a wise man. If any man among you, verse 26 of James 1, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And then James gives us three easy lessons, three bullet points on what true faith is evidence, what it looks like. If you want to know what true faith looks like, James gives us three simple points. Give me 15 minutes, and I'll bring these three points out. True faith is evidenced in three ways. Number one, true faith is impartial. For he said it in James chapter 2, verse 1, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect of persons. Peter learned that the hard way. God had to show him a vision three times before he finally got the point. He walked into Cornelius' house and, and um, 
in Acts chapter 10 and he looked at this family of hungry people sitting there waiting to receive the word and he said, I, I have been shown of God that he has no respect of persons. Verse 2 of James 2, for if a man, if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. We're going to have both in our new building. We're going to have those that's going to come in looking like they got money, and they do. And there's going to be those that's going to come in and looking like they have nothing and they don't have anything. That's what he's saying. If you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, if I was rewriting the Bible today, I'd, I'd not use that word. But if you have respect to him that's wearing the gay clothing or that fancy stuff, and you say unto him, sit thou here in a good place and say to the poor, stand thou there, sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves and you're becoming judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you in before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? If you, feel, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect of persons, you do commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. But whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. When you look at that, there's some Old Testament verses in, Le in Leviticus chapter 19. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 2. The Lord started that verse or that passage out but just simply saying, Be ye holy, for I am holy. He's telling us this is how I am and this is how you're supposed to be because you're a reflection of me. And then he tells them that holiness shows itself in our conduct toward each other. He gives a whole list of things. But he tells us in verse 15 of Leviticus 19, you shall do no unrighteousness in judgment and you shall not respect the person of the poor nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness thou shalt judge thy neighbor. He says the same thing in Deuteronomy. And I'm not, I'm not going to flip over there and read that, but in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Deuteronomy chapter 16, he repeats those things. And then when you look at this, when he tells us that true faith shows itself in impartiality, and then he tells us, if you fulfill the royal law, love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. That's also found in Leviticus 19:18. Where God tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. When you fulfill that, and when you love everybody equally and treat everybody equitably, when you're the same toward each other, that's an indication of genuine faith. This goes both ways. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about how Jesus did not have to. Uh, combat his prejudice toward that woman there at, at the well in John chapter 4 but he had to deal with hers toward him and last week uh, we were in Nashville they took, took me out to eat for my birthday and so Anna had taken me out and uh, man it's good to have kids that have jobs you know in the old days you'd give them money to buy you a birthday present with 
Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Dad, I want to get this for you for your birthday. And then give them the money. So uh, Anna bought my meal at that steakhouse in downtown Nashville. And so we're coming back home. And, and there was a little bit of time left. I mean, it's like you watch the clock and there's a little bit of time. So there was time to stop at Charlotte Pike at the Target. Because Bonnie and Anna like Target. So we stopped, and me and Michael didn't care. We was just going to walk on down toward the bookstore. And it was closed, and we walked and came back, and it was still fine. I mean, it kept us out of Target. But we're, we're out in the front of the store, in front of Target. And there's this guy came up to me that uh, I've, I've seen this in Nashville before. They have this newspaper. It's people that are homeless, and uh, they sell newspapers just to supplement or get them a little source of income. So he came up to me and he had this newspaper in his hand. And he didn't start by, by trying to sell me on the newspaper. He started with a joke, with a friendly greeting. And then he had just one lame dad joke after another. And I'm laughing at him. And I would tell you some of them, but, uh, but you can't tell them behind the pulpit. And finally, I told him, I said, hey, Pierre, I'm a, I'm a preacher. I can't use that joke. Oh, and then he told me how to change it <laughs> and make it where it could use it behind the pulpit. And so I'm having this wonderful time with him. Our skin tones are, are, are two different colors. And so... In a minute, he looked at me and he got real serious. See, I, I need to apologize to you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, I need to apologize to you because when you walked up, I looked at you and I judged you. And I said to myself that that white man with that perfect hair, I'm quoting him, that, that white man with that perfect hair is not going to give me the time of day. But when I spoke to you, you stopped and listened to me. Well, I got emotional then. And so I hugged him, and he hugged me back, and Michael hugged him. and I mean, we hugged it out, and we're just having a hug fest on the sidewalk there in front of Target. But I, 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 learned, I learned this valuable lesson. Because you, you can at least stop and pay attention you can at least pause for a moment there are people that we encounter in our life that one of the greatest gifts that we can give to them is our attention some people need attention more than they need money some people need a listening ear more than they need us to hand them something I learned a lesson Pierre learned a lesson from me. If I see him, I'm just going to pull my wallet out. The next time I see him in Nashville, I'm just going to pull my wallet out and get one of those newspapers and say, I only have time for one joke now. But Because he, he followed us down the sidewalk just telling one more joke after another, one more joke after another. But he looked at me and he said, I'm sorry that I had judged you. And we do that. It doesn't matter what the color of the skin is. We, we do that. 
And the Lord is telling us that if we can show one attention and disregard another one, then we don't have true Christ-like faith. The second thing is true faith is evidenced by works. And you see that in... Um, in the second chapter of the 14th verse where James says what does a man the first thing was true faith is is impartial the second thing is true faith is evidenced by works James said what does it profit my brethren if a man say has faith and hath not works can faith save him if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food and one of you say unto them depart in peace be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. In other words, faith is more than a statement. Faith is our life. Thou believest that there is one God, you do well. Well, that's great. We're oneness believers. If you believe there's one God, you do well. The devils also believe that, and they tremble. But thou, O man or vain man, I want you to know that faith without works is dead. Abraham, the father of our faith, he was justified by his works when he offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works and or see thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see, see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith alone. Likewise, Rahab was justified by her works. She received the messengers there in the Old Testament, sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You know why I still pray for wisdom? It's because if I don't, I learn things the hard way. So I have to pray for wisdom. 36 years ago, I learned a lesson the hard way. I was evangelizing. I was preaching for my Uncle Clois down in Mississippi. There's a youth group. We all went out to McDonald's after church, one of these service nights. And there was a guy that was out front, and I, I grew up in Lexington, so I really wasn't used to panhandlers or beggars or anybody just asking to help you with food. I wasn't used to that. And I walked in and so walking in with this group of young people, I don't know why, but he zeroed in on me and he said, hey, give me some money, I need something to eat. And so I only had a few dollars in my pocket. We're going in McDonald's to eat. And I did something that I've multiple times have regretted that I did. I looked at him and I said, I don't, uh, I don't really have any money. And I gave him a business card because I had business cards. And I was proud of my business cards. It says Evangelist David Beecham. Have my phone number 9688506. That's been the Beecham number for 162 years. And I handed him my card. 
I'm like, if you need something while I'm here, just call me. Y'all, I was dumb 36 years ago. And I've made, I've made, pride, I've made strides. You have too, we all have. But here's the lesson. He walked in a minute, a few minutes later, and I had my food. And he walked in and he gave me that card back to me. He said, here, I don't need your card. And he walked out. So I don't want anybody ever questioning me about giving my money away because I want to do it on a regular basis because I learned the hard way. I'm not a card. I'm not a title. I'm not a position. And I'm not a platitude. You know what a platitude is? A platitude is an overused expression that means nothing. We're not a card. We're not a title. We're not a position. We're not a platitude. We're more than a how are you without meaning. We're more than a bless you without meaning. We're more than I'll pray for you and forget it. And we're here for far more than virtue signaling. And we, before that became a politically correct term, the church has been virtue signaling for a long time. And we're more than that. True faith is evidence by works that reflect our Lord. And true faith, and the final one, is true faith is evidenced by words chapter 3 and verse 1 James said my brethren be not many masters knowing that you shall receive the greater condemnation for if in many things we offend all if any man offend not in word the same as a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body we put bits in horses mouths that they'll obey us and we turn about their whole body Behold also the ships which, though they be great and are driven by fierce winds, they're turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a word of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Pause for a moment because that's where we are today. As a nation, as a world, there's hell-driven tongues that are keeping pots stirred that could have been dealt with already. There's hell-driven tongues. Every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. 
Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either the vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. In other words, you can't speak ill about this brother and then praise God in the same breath. Come on. This is Pastor James. Three things that he gave us, that true faith is evidenced by our, by our impartiality, and true faith is evidenced by our works, and true faith is evidenced by our words. Don't speak ne negativity. I was talking to somebody today. Come back to the bunny, come to the piano. I was talking to somebody today, and I heard, I heard this, this, this person's mother say this numerous times. Mama made the statement that he's just going to turn out just like his daddy. Daddy was out of the picture. Daddy was in prison. He's going to turn out just like his daddy. And I get so flustered over that. And I tell Mama, I say, please don't say things like that. I tell his Mama, please don't say things like that. Please, please, please. And he's done everything within his power to keep Mama's prophecy from being fulfilled. And I have to give him credit for doing so. And I believe it's because he had somebody else in his life offsetting the negativity of mama. Somebody is telling him where he's going to end up and somebody's telling him where he could go. But don't speak negativity. Don't even speak negativity about your own self. Don't speak over yourself that I don't think I can make it. Don't speak negativity over yourself. Don't speak over yourself that I feel like I'm backsliding. Don't speak that over yourself. Don't speak over yourself that you can't do it. Just speak over yourself that I may not be much within myself, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, our words are creatively powerful. It was by words that the Lord spoke things into existence. It's words that he gives us to carry. And when he left this earth, the Bible lets us know that he handed off to his apostles and subsequently to you and me those things that he was both doing and saying. And so we don't want to be one-sided in this deal when we don't want to talk about miracles, signs, and wonders and, and then sowing doubt with our words. He gave his words, he gave his work. He handed off to his disciples what he had been teaching, what he had been doing. And you and I have the responsibility today to let true faith be evidenced in our life. That new building over there on the highway on 9491, is that right? 9491 West Highway 412 West. That new building's attracting a lot of attention. It really is. Can't go anywhere. I told you that already. I can't go anywhere without people saying, man, that's, that building's beautiful. I ran into a lady today at the Bible bookstore. A lady was coming out. And she said, my, my, my son drove by that building and said, Mama, that's how churches ought to look. There's something special about it. Y'all know the story. God gave us the property. God gave it to us. Y'all know the story. 
that building is attractive and there are going to be people that's going to come in because of the attraction of the building but you know what I believe that building may be attractive but when they come in they're going to see the true beauty the building may be attractive but when they come in they're going to see the true beauty the true beauty is the people of God. The people of God. The holy, godly people reflecting our Lord and Savior. Would you just stand with me right now? Hallelujah. Would you just reach over and put your hand on the shoulder of that person beside you and let's just pray for each other right now. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you'd just help us. Help us not to be just hearers and forgetful hearers of the word, but help us to be doers of your word. God, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit, guide us with your truth. I pray that you'd give wisdom where it's lacking. I pray, oh Lord, that you would fill our lives and that our lives would reflect you. Pray, oh Lord, that if there's impartial, if there's partiality that is among us in any area, Lord, that it would be gone. God, I pray that if there's self-motivation in any area, that that would be gone. God, I pray that if there's wrong words being spoken in our lives in any way, that they would be silenced. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.